is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you today, live and in studio. We're going to start out our show as we always do with our weekly wrap-up for the week. And we saw the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average push further into record territory this week. The NASDAQ Composite shifted back into rally mode. Most of the action over this holiday-shortened week occurred on Thursday as participants reacted to another blowout quarter from Nvidia. Nvidia's report renewed the market's enthusiasm for AI-related stocks, other growth stocks, and semiconductor shares. Nvidia surged 8.5% this week, topped a $2 trillion market cap for the first time, leaving its gain for this year just below 60%. The PHLX Semiconductor Index jumped 1.9%, and the Megacap Growth ETF gained 1.6% on the week. <clears throat> a fear of missing out on further gains was a powerful directional driver this week that added to the post Nevada earnings rally. Even on Friday, when growth stocks and semiconductor shares underperformed, the broader market finished with a positive bias. The S&P 500 equal weight gained 1.2% this week. Notably, the information technology sector was up 2%, and that was the second biggest gainer this week despite the jump in Nevada shares, trailing only the consumer staples sector, which is up 2.1%. But all 11 sectors of the registered gains this week, energy, however, was only up 4 tenths of 1%, real estate up 9 tenths of 1%. They were the laggard index performers by a decent margin. The market drew added support from ongoing optimism about rate cuts following the comments from Fed officials. Fed Vice Chair Jefferson said that this would be likely to be appropriate to begin cutting rates later this year, adding that he is cautiously optimistic about the way inflation is evolving. Also, Philadelphia Fed President Harker, who's not an FOMC voter, said that he believes the Fed may be in a position to see the Fed funds rate decrease this year, but cautions anyone and anyone looking for it right now and right away. Market participants also were digesting the minutes of the January 30th and 31st FOMC meeting, which were scripted largely as expected. Fed Chair Powell effectively wrote them for the market when he conducted his press conference following the January meeting. Several Fed officials in the interim have paraphrased them. The 10-year note yield fell four basis points this week to 4.26%. The two-year note rose seven basis points to 4.72%. On Tuesday, which was a holiday-shortened week this week, it started the week with losses. The relative outperformance of the Dow Jones Industrial Average is due in part to a nice move higher in shares at Walmart following pleasing quarterly results. Fellow Dow component Home Depot settled with a slim gain after being down as much as 2.2% in response to its earnings report. So coming into this week, there was a growing sense that stocks were due for some profit-taking. Following a big run-up, the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average were hitting fresh all-time highs recently. Semiconductor stocks and mega caps experienced some of that consolidation on Tuesday. But unsurprisingly, given the week showing, from mega caps and semiconductor stocks, the heavily weighted information technology sector saw the biggest decline among the 11 S&P sectors, dropping 1.3%. In other news, Discover Financial Services will be acquired by Capital One in an all-stock transaction valued at $35.3 billion. Tuesday's economic data was limited to the leading economic indicators index, which declined four-tenths of 1% in January. That's following a two-tenths of 1% decline in December. On Wednesday, Wednesday's trade was largely driven by a wait-and-see mindset in front of the minutes of the January 30, 31st FOMC meeting at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, which garnered a muted response from investors and in front of Wednesday's afternoon's influential earnings news. Some speculative buy the dip interest short covering activity in the last 30 minutes of trading left the major indices near their best levels of the session, 
but stocks were trading mostly lower throughout the session. Early selling activity was particularly driven by sharp losses in the Palo Alto networks, which reported disappointing guidance. Growth stocks were still lagging relative to value stocks by the, by the close. Again, that would be growth versus dividend. Losses in the aforementioned names, as well as Microsoft, left the S&P 500 information technology sector alone in negative territory at the close. Market participants were also digesting the minutes for the January 30th and 31st FOMC meeting, which were scripted largely as expected. We saw Fed Chair Powell effectively wrote them for the market when he conducted his press conference, as we mentioned earlier. Reviewing Wednesday's economic data, uh, weekly MBA mortgage applications were down 10.6%. The prior week was down 2.3%. On Thursday, the stock market had a strong showing thanks to Navita's much better than expected earnings results. The S&P 500 was up 2.1%. The Dow was up 1.2%. They set new record closing highs, and the NASDAQ composite logged a 3% gain. Navita's report removed the market's enthusiasm for AI-related stocks and other growth stocks and semiconductor shares. Some stocks were left out of Thursday's rally due to downside catalysts. Etsy said saw the largest decline in the S&P after disappointing quarterly results. EV makers Rivian Automotive and Lucid Group plunged after their disappointing results. But reviewing Thursday's economic data, we saw the weekly initial job claims came in at 201,000. Uh, prior was revised to 213 from 212,000. Weekly continuing claims were at 1.862 million. The prior was also revised. The key takeaway from this report is that it covers the period in time when the survey for the February employment report was conducted, so the low level of initial claims and the lowest since early January will drive expectations for another solid increase in non-farm payrolls. February's S&P Global U.S. Manufacturing PMI preliminary came in at 51.5, and February's S&P Global Services PMI preliminary came in at 51.3. We saw January's existing home sales at $4 million. Uh, key takeaway from this report is that the high mortgage rates, tight inventory, and elevated prices continue to put a crimp on existing home sales. On Friday, the movement in the stock market was limited on Friday after Thursday's surge in response to Navita's earnings report. The major indices spent most of the session trading near their prior closing levels. Ultimately, the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average eked out another gain, extending further into record territory. The Nasdaq Composite, meanwhile, declined three-tenths of 1% due to lagging semiconductor names and growth stocks. After leading the market higher on Thursday in sympathy with Nevada, semiconductor stocks underperformed the broader market. Still, the advanced decline line was positive. Re reflecting a slight positive bias under the index surface. The positive disposition was partially driven by a carryover momentum following Thursday's rally. A nice drop in the 10-year Treasury note yield, down 7 basis points to 426, also acted to support for equities. The S&P 500 consumer discretionary sector was down 3 tenths of 1%. That also lagged the broader market due to weakness in shares of Booking Holdings. Booking was also the worst-performing stock in the S&P after reported earnings. Warner Brothers discovered <coughs> was another notable laggard with disappointing earnings, wrapping weighing down the communication sector, which was down two-tenths of 1%. There was no economic data of any note on Friday. So as of Friday... Yesterday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is now up 38.8% for the year. It was up 1.3% in the week. The NASDAQ is up 6.6%, up 1.4% on the week. The S&P 500 was up 1.7% this week with 6.7% gain for the year. And the Russell 2000 is down 8 tenths of 1% this week and is still down a half a percent for the year. Dick Donahue with you with Wolf Wake Up Live. We'll be back shortly. Thanks for being with us.
You still thinking job change in the new year? Yeah, I need something that's in high demand and more stable in this economy. IT? Yeah, cybersecurity, maybe even AI. That's what I did. Really? How? Went to My Computer Career. You don't need any prior experience, and you could start your new career in a matter of months. A lot of IT pros go to school there, too, to level up. Sweet. Are classes online or on campus? Both. Wow, well, I'll check it out. Thanks. Make this your year. Take the free career evaluation now at mycomputercareer.edu. Financial aid is available for qualified students, including the GI Bill. Pizza's here. Oh, great. I'd love some, but I'm worried about my stomach issues. If you're worried about having diarrhea, gas, bloating, stomach pain, or loose oily stools, it may not just be stomach issues. It could be a condition called exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, or EPI. With EPI, the pancreas doesn't release enough enzymes to break down food, but EPI is manageable. Use the symptom checker on identifyepi.com and talk to your doctor. That's identifyepi.com. Sponsored by AbbVie. Are you looking for an auto shop that offers honest quality service? Hi, I'm Kirk, owner of Angler Automotive. At Angler Automotive, we strive to make sure that all of your automotive service needs are met. Angler Automotive provides the factory recommended services that are required to maintain your vehicle's warranty. Angler Automotive, outstanding quality with honest, reliable service. Check us out online at anglerautomotive.com. Hello folks, this is Phil George. I'm an Elder Lawn Estate Planning Attorney here in Bellingham and I would like to invite you to join me every Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m. right here on KGMI for the Aging Hour. If you have questions about Medicare, Medicaid, long-term care costs, probates, wills, trusts, or anything else that has to do with aging, this is the radio show for you. Studies show that more than 70% of estate plans fail when families need them the most. Join us every Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m. and we can show you how to set your family up for success. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. We are Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway. That's old Highway 99 out in the Pacific Commerce Center north of the Slater Road next to Wilson's Furniture. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number, 360-733-1200. And check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. And a little note, I've been, we've been, I guess, remodeling the office and um, doing a bunch of work in there. And in the process, I have quite a collection of books over the years. I'm going to spend some time tomorrow's show uh, talking about an interesting topic that I don't spend a lot of time on, and that is life insurance. And I know that's kind of boring in some ways, but I'm going to talk about it anyway because I think there's some interesting perspectives. And I've got a book that was sitting on a shelf that's over 50 years old that kind of drove my thoughts when I first started in this industry way back when. Anyway, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about what few people are grasping, and that's the profound changes that our monetary and banking systems underwent when Ben Bernanke was Federal Reserve Chair and Hank Paulson was Treasury Secretary. The 2008 financial panic spurred significant transformations, including quantitative easing, which massively expanded both the Federal Reserve's, which would be the Fed, and the bank's balance sheets. The introduction of interest payments on reserves, prolonged periods of exceptionally low interest rates, and stricter banking regulations. Few people discuss it, and the press covering the Fed has unfortunately chosen to ignore it. But these changes in policy have had and will have profound implications. First, the Fed increased its balance sheet by buying Treasury debt, which followed government, which allowed government spending to soar. Second, by making reserves abundant, the Fed took complete control of short-term interest rates and held them artificially low, making the increased spending less costly. Finally, the Fed started playing banks, interest on their reserves in exchange for stress testing them and making them hold more capital and liquidity. Well, at first, this policy didn't mean much. After all, 
the Fed only paid banks a quarter of a percent per year on their reserves. But the Fed is paying 5.4% on these abundant reserves now, which is more than it earns on its portfolio. So it means that technically the Fed is losing money. This change in policy is profound. To further discuss it, we're going to share three points. First of all, we're going to talk about the Federal Reserve's footprint in the banking sector. And just to give you a little background, I have a chart in front of me. Since 1960 up till 2008, that line that represents that footprint was very flat. Uh, It's gone up way up. So before the 2008 financial crisis, the Fed utilized a scarce reserve model to manage monetary policy. The reserves held by the Fed as a percent of deposits in the banks measured were measured by M2. For decades, about 10% of the deposits were held in the Fed, and by buying or selling treasury securities from banks, the Fed could make these scarce reserves more, more or less scarce. Adding reserves eased monetary policy, while drawing reserves tightened it. This all changed when the Fed... Uh, through its QE programs, bought bonds by creating money, while filling the banking system with excess reserves. This new approach is called the abundant reserve model. Instead of 10% reserves, the banks now hold roughly 40% of all deposits at the Fed. To keep these reserves from creating inflation by entering the broad economic system, the Fed keeps them bottled up by paying banks interest on them, and forcing banks to hold more capital and liquidity against them. Why are so few people talk about this is a mystery to us. Then secondly, let's take a look at the U.S. Treasury account, general account. Under Hank Paulson, the Treasury Department and they use these changes to boost holdings of cash. The Treasury had always held cash balances in the Fed in the Treasury general account, and before the 2008 financial crisis, its balance sheet was roughly $5 billion. But it served the purpose of allowing the Treasury to manage its cash needs without disrupting the Fed's ma- management of scarce bank reserves. But with the expansion of the Fed's balance sheet during the financial crisis, it was no longer as important as preventative fluctuation as bank reserves became so abundant. Consequently, the TGA expanded into a slush fund and today holds $831 billion. In 2015, the Treasury argued that political battles over spending and debt ceiling created uncertainty, and even though there was no immediate crisis, the TGA would hold enough cash to cover one week's expenses with a minimum of $150 billion. These changes resulted in the Fed's liabilities to the Treasury growing, larger and more uh, volatile than pre-crisis levels. Moreover, the Treasury can now drain cash from the economy by borrowing or taxing away bank deposits and then storing them in the TGA. Supposedly, Congress is uh, is, is in charge of spending. The Fed is in charge of monetary policy. We believe a huge TGA balance makes this less clear. So let's also look at federal funds rates over this period of time. When reserves were were scarce, banks traded federal funds every day and were part of the market-based prices that determined the level of rates. Today, the abundant reserves, banks no longer trade federal funds. This interest rate is set by the Fed. This has resulted in a Fed funds market that is is, is price fixed. A clear distinction can be seen when comparing the volatility of the Fed funds rates before and after 2008, they appear as entirely different markets. Without the mechanism of price discovery, we believe there's a large risk of future imbalances and vulnerabilities in the banking system. Not necessarily the best report to have to share. <laughs> okay, let's talk about consumer delinquency rates while we're talking about what's going on. And we're seeing that uh, that uh, we thought would be informative to compare the delinquency rate on consumer loans issued by the U.S. commercial banks to prices in the S&P 500, cons- S&P 500 Consumer Discretionary Index over time. And we used some data from the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve that's retrieved from the Fed 
for the, for, for, from, the, or for, from uh, basically different observations. At 42.3%, the S&P 500 Consumer Discretionary Index boosted the third largest total return of 11 sectors that comprise the S&P 500 Index last year. The index has not fared well in 24, posting a year-to-date gain through February 13th of only three-tenths of 1%. Various factors could be impacting the performance of the consumer discretionary sector. First, consumer spending appears to be uh, bolstered by surging U.S. household and net worth, which rose to $142.4 trillion at the end of tw- third quarter of 23, up from $110.1 trillion at the end of the fourth quarter of 19. We also saw regarding the health of the U.S. consumer that a healthy consumer may play an integral part in the U.S. avoiding protracted re- recessions. One measure of consumer health delinquency rates shows signs of weakening. We also saw that after failing... Uh, uh, or after falling at a low, low of 1.53% in the third quarter of, of uh, 21, the consumer delinquency rate has surged to 2.53%. Loan delinquency rates among credit cards and auto loans have also risen as well. One important aspect of overall consumer health is the rate at which they are defaulting on their debt obligations. To be sure, not all delinquencies will become defaults, but a spike in the number of payments in the past due could be an indication that the U.S. consumer is under increasing financial duress. The loan delinquency rate for credit cards issued by all insured commercial banks stood at 2.08% at the end of the third quarter of 23. That's the most recent data available. That's its highest level since the close of the first quarter of 2012. In addition, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York reported that the percentage of auto loans that moved into serious delinquency, which would be 90 days or more delinquent, rose to 2.66% in the fourth quarter of 23. That was up from 2.22% over the same period in 22. So what's our takeaway on all this? It says the delinquency rate on consumer loans issued by all U.S. banks stood at 2.53% at the end of the third quarter of 23. While it's true that loan delinquency rates have risen from recent lows, they are not uh, alarmingly high. The index reflects delinquency rates that were well below their historical average of 3.07% and even further below their all-time of 4.85%. That said, the recent surge in delinquencies is notable, and we will continue to monitor the delinquency rate among consumers and Report it back as we continue to see it. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live. We'll be back shortly. It's the final weekend of DeWard and Bodie's President's Day Sale on Whatcom and Skagit County's best in-stock selection of appliances, mattresses, and more. Now through Sunday, it's your last chance for DeWard and Bodie to pay your sales tax on specially marked in-stock appliances and mattresses. Plus, stack cashback rebates on top of President's Day markdowns on select laundry pairs and appliance packages, like get up to $900 extra cashback when you buy four or more qualifying LG appliances. The more you buy, the more you save. Now is your chance to get presidential savings on DeWard and Bodie's massive in-stock selection of refrigerators, freezers, dishwashers, gas and electric ovens and cooktops, laundry sets, and so much more. Plus, get unbeatable deals on beds at their Bellingham Mattress showroom and get free delivery set up in Holloway with qualifying orders. Upgrade today with no money down and no interest for two full years on qualifying appliances and up to four years on qualifying mattresses. Visit DeWard and Bodie now during the final weekend of the President's Day Sale. When you buy a Subaru, you're buying more than a vehicle. You're buying safety for your family, an investment that will hold its value, and something that will last a long, long time. In fewer words, you're buying trust. According to Consumer Reports, Subaru has been ranked the 23 best mainstream automotive brand. And the Subaru Outback has been named a 2024 recommended model. For a limited time, you can celebrate them both with special offers during the Subaru A Lot to Love event at Dewey 
Dewey Griffin Subaru. On now through April 1st. Stop into Dewey Griffin Subaru and find out how you can get up to 1.9% APR financing on select new 2024 Subaru Outback models. Plus, when you purchase a Subaru from Dewey, you'll be supporting a local dealership that supports our local community. Dewey Griffin Subaru. Community-minded, community-driven, and the only Subaru-certified tire and service center in Whatcom County. Learn more at Subaru.com slash CR. Incredible stories of patients who have had nurses and doctors visit them only to find out that those people never existed. Coast to coast. A physician who died of a cardiac arrest in the hospital. But one of the nurses was on vacation and came back a couple of weeks later, got onto the elevator, and there is the doctor that died. Every night at 10 p.m. on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham. Streaming live at MyBellinghamNow.com. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. No gimmicks, just the highest quality systems, 0% interest financing, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Rely on West Mechanical Heating, Air Conditioning, and Electrical. Contact them today at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and MyBellinghamNow.com. CBS News Brief. South Carolina Republicans are heading to the polls where former President Trump is the favorite, though Nikki Haley isn't quitting. Political analyst Larry Sabato. She's in it not to win it, but to preserve her position for a crisis this year or a candidacy in 2028, the next presidential election. It's been two years since Russia invaded Ukraine, and Yaroslav Trofimov at the Wall Street Journal has written a book about the war. People talk about peace talks, people talk about some sort of prospects of negotiated solutions, but you cannot ha- negotiate your own extinction. The longtime head of the NRA has been ordered to repay almost $4.4 million, law professor Jessica Levinson. There were also accusations here and a finding of liability based on the idea that he abused his position as head of this nonprofit, that he did not exercise good faith, and that he breached something called his fiduciary duty. CBS News Brief. I'm Allison Keyes. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. I'm going to talk a little bit about capital returns. You know, and return to capital is part of the return on your capital. Let's spend some time talking about that. Dividends and share repurchases have been the significant drivers of equity performance over the long term. Here's some historical perspective and deeper analysis into how companies return cash to their shareholders. Share repurchases from S&P 500 companies have generally been significantly larger than dividends have been paid, averaging about 57% of all capital return versus 43% from dividends, respectively as a percentage of capital return to shareholders since 1998. Over the last 12 months, September since ending in September of 23, the S&P 500 share repurchases totaled $787 billion. That was 36% higher than dividends of $580 billion. Historically, corporations have tried to honor their commitment to dividends while de- determining their share repurchases based on free cash flow and other factors such as debt repayment, making share repurchases less consistent. But interestingly, the energy sector, which we believe has experienced a significant shift in capital discipline, has delivered the highest capital return, i.e. that's a combination of dividends and shares repurchases of 8.2% over the last 12 months. The second highest ranking sector with capital return is communication services, which has repurchased the most stock relative to its market capitalization over the last 12 months. But taken together, the total return of capital in the 12-month period ending in September of 23 for the S&P 500 has been 3.8% relative to market capitalization. That comprised a 1.6% on dividends and 2.2% for repurchases. The amount may be significant to shareholder returns. Indeed, over the past 
50 years, dividends alone have counted for more than a quarter of the stock market's return. In our view, if profit growth continues to recover, as we believe it will, companies may begin rewarding investors with even higher returns of capital, potentially providing a material source of market total performance. So something to keep an eye on. Also, I saw another interesting chart that I thought um, was interesting. And basically, it's just an evaluation of asset allocation and withdrawal rates for retirement. And, of course, we have this discussion with all of our clients when we're sitting down with them and trying to determine how much money can they withdraw off of their investments. And uh, there were a number of tables here showing 25, 30, and 35 years in retirement. And one of them, for example, shows that there's a 90% chance if a person has a mix of 60% stocks and 40% bonds that they could sustain a 4% withdrawal rate if that were also increased 3% a year for inflation throughout a 30-year retirement. So basically we're saying that somebody in 30 years retirement drawing 4%, increasing it at 3% a year to help keep up with inflation, if 60-40 stock mix would have about a 90% chance of carrying them through. Rather interestingly, a 3% withdrawal in that same bracket would have about a 99% chance. And in looking at the different mixes, 100% stocks, 80-20 stocks, uh, 60-40 stocks, 40% stocks, 60% bonds, 20%, 80%, we find that um, at the 4% withdrawal rate um, over a 30-year period of time, basically it all is pretty consistently in close to 85 to 90% the chance that they would be successful. Now, in a 25-year time frame, that number is even better. They're drawing 4% a year, depending on the mix of stocks, range from 92 to 98%, also very high. And even on a 35-year timeline, we'll go out here with a 4% uh, withdrawal rate, um, drops about a, down to about 80% chance. So it's amazingly that the longer the time frame that a person has to live, it starts showing that if you're drawing that money off, your, your odds of making it last for, say, 35 years aren't quite as good, about 80%. Now, in a 3% withdrawal rate, that 35-year time frame, it consistently runs in the 95 to 98 to 99% chance. So um, big, big... Uh, Big, big difference. For example, I can also go down here and look at a 5% withdrawal rate. The, the likelihood over 30 years of making your money last is going to run down into the 60 to 70% range. Uh, high 60s, I guess say. So let's say roughly 70% range. Now, rather interestingly, a 20% stock for 80% bond um, um, mix for that 30-year retirement only has a 43% chance at 5% withdrawal of making it last. So it does show that you need to have more equity exposure. Uh, same thing with 35 years. We find that there's only a 24% chance if you have a 20% stock, 80% bond mix that you're going to make that money last. On the other hand, 100% stocks at 5% is only 62%. So it just kind of shows that if you start drawing too much off that money, trying to push it, I guess if you want to use those terms, uh, you need to be careful how much you're drawing because money may not last. And then the likelihood of it lasting longer, uh, it's going to continue. So while we're talking about retirement, we're also finding that, finding that um, basically that regrets weigh heavily on about 26% of retirees, that more than a quarter of retired Americans wish that they had, had a do-over when thinking about how they approach life before retirement. According to a report by Medicare FAQ, which is an educational resource for seniors, 26% of retirees harbor regrets now that they're retired. Most of them, 78%, lamented not saving enough money or prioritizing finances. Others felt that they could have done a better job of focusing more on themselves and simply enjoying life. More than half, 52%, said that they did not prioritize their health. 28% said that they did not have a good work-life balance, 21% indicated that they did not travel enough, and 18% said that they wished they had spent more time with family. The survey included 569 retired Americans whose average age was 58 who had been retired for five or more years. It found that 86% of them wished that they had saved more, and nearly two-thirds said that they started too late to invest in retirement funds. 
Overall, the report found that most retirees enjoy being retired, but more than half, 56%, said that the transition was harder than they expected. 22% specifically referred to it as difficult. At the same time, one in four struggled to find fulfillment. But 18% said that they spend time volunteering, 25% said they plan to find work, and 47% have picked up a new hobby in retirement. The majority, 93% said that they being retired has afforded them time to enjoy the things that they did not have time for while holding down a full-time job. Furthermore, 82% indicated that they have focused more on their health after leaving the workforce. 60% said that they did so by cooking healthy meals. 59% said they visit the doctor when they believe they need to. 53% indicate time to, to dedicate time to exercise. And 41% said that they're more active in general. One in 10 of the respondents said that they displayed this delayed their retirement. 49% said it was because they enjoyed working. 38% said it was because they didn't have enough money saved. 33% said it was the increase in Social Security payout. And 31% said that it was for health insurance coverage. So after bringing up finances, their health, their worth-like balance, and the family time, Retirees named a few more things that they wished that they had done before retirement. They, had, they said they wished they had focused more on personal growth and happiness, that they had not lived too far beyond their financial means, that they had not chosen a career that they enjoyed, and that they valued relationships more. So some rather interesting input on considerations coming into retirement. We're going to go ahead and take our break. We'll be back here shortly. High interest rates got you down for the count? Wilson's Furniture's President's Day Sale is the answer to get you up, off the floor, and onto new and oh-so-comfortable furniture. Now, during the President's Day Sale, Wilson's is paying your sales tax and giving you same-as-cash financing. That new mattress you've been thinking about? Boom. Get a queen-size Tempur-Pedic for only $55 a month. Has that sofa you've had since the Sopranos were on finally gone and died on you? Wilson's has a power reclining sofa, love seat, and recliner set that'll make you feel like you're sleeping with the fishes for just 75 bucks a month. And if your patio set was blown away in that last windstorm, there's a beautiful five-piece patio set at Wilson's that's yours for only $35 a month. No interest and no sales tax add up to huge savings at Wilson's. Stop in now during the President's Day sale and save. Wilson's open seven days a week on Pacific Highway in Ferndale. See store for financing details available OAC. Progressive presents Precious Moments. Hey Jess, want to come for a ride on my motorcycle? You know, we can talk about our feelings and explore our emotional compatibility. I thought you'd never ask. The exchange you just heard didn't actually happen, but it could. Bundle your home and other vehicles with Progressive and you could use the savings to make sure the motorcycle is always ready for your dream girl. So keep the dream alive and the savings coming with Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Not available in all states. Here at Total Wine & More, you'll find what you love and love what you find. I like this flavored gin, but want something new. You will love this one. (gasps) Wow! You're good. Find what you love, love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Pickup and delivery available at TotalWine.com. Drink responsibly. B21. Because there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. Again, if you have questions for me, you can always give me a call. 360-733-1200. Well, something interesting kind of thing come out on Tuesday, and that is that Amazon is going to replace Walgreens in the Dow Jones Industrial Average as of Monday. They are finally joining that average. The e-commerce giants will replace Walgreens Boots Alliance in the 30-stock gauge According to the press release from the S&P Dow Jones Indices, the change will go in effect at the open of trading Monday morning. So you get up Monday morning, Walgreens will no longer be part of the index, and, and Amazon will. The shift was announced after the market closed on Tuesday. It was prompted by Walmart's decision to split its stock 3-1. to one. 
the index provider said in its release. Such a move is going to reduce Walmart's index weight due to price-weighted construction in the blue-chip index. Unlike the counterpoints in the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100, the historic Dow index is weighted based on the share's price of its holdings rather than on their market cap. So reflecting the uh, avoiding evolving the nature of the American economy, this change is going to increase consumer retail exposure as well as other business stress in the Dow areas in the Dow Jones, the index provider said in its press release. The e-commerce giant's inclusion in the index is another milestone for the retailer's rapid expansion in the last decade. The company, founded in 1994 as an online bookseller, of course, as we know, sells goods of all stripes and runs the world's largest cloud computing business. The Seattle-based company is the second largest private sector employer in the U.S. behind Walmart. More than a century after its founding, the Dow has ceded its preeminence in its investment benchmark though it remains the most significant register of American corporate elites. As such, its additions and deletions are litmus tests for industry trends. Meanwhile, there is an absence of Amazon and a slew of big-time tech terms from the, from the Dow spurred the blue-chip index to underperform its peers last year. The uh, S&P 500 gained 24% in 23. The tech-heavy Nasdaq climbed more than double, and the Dow, for its part, notched a 13% gain. So the Walgreens is being replaced after its inclusion in June of 18. That's a relatively brief tenure, not to, but not, it's not that surprising. The company's stock fell 30% last year as Amazon's climbed 80%. The troubled drugstore chain cut its dividend almost in half last month and is weakening retail and prescription environment. Meanwhile, Uber Technologies is also going to replace JetBlue Airways in the Dow Jones Trust Transportation Average. The 20-stock price-weighted Dow Transportation Index includes the largest U.S. companies within this industry group, according to its index provider. The move, prompted by JetBlue's low weighting, will help the gauge gain exposure to the ride-sharing industry, according to its release. So shares of Amazon rose 1.5% in extending trading after the news. Walgreens fell and it fell over 3%. Uber gained 1%, while JetBlue was down four-tenths of 1% after the announcement. So kind of interesting transition you're seeing. And obviously, I've been in this industry for a while. I will say that the Dow is not the index that I pay attention to every day, only because it does only represent 30 countries, companies, and it hasn't been all that positive, I guess. Okay. Well, peak 65, we're there. So let's talk about some tips and tricks to save on taxes. This year, 2024, we're going to have more Americans than ever that are going to reach age 65. By this summer, we're going to have 12,000 baby boomers who are going to celebrate their 65th birthday each day. This demographic milestone will be called peak 65. If you're in this group, what does PIX65 mean to your IRAs? Well, it's prime time for planning. If you're 65, approaching this age, or maybe even have passed, just prime time to do some planning with your IRA. This is the time when you have the most flexibility with your IRA. When you reach 59 and a half, that 10% early distribution penalty became history. So you can take distributions from your IRA for any reason at all and not worry about a penalty. But you still have to pay taxes unless your withdrawal contains after-tax funds, which we find is rare. But the early distribution penalty is never an issue. That's after 59 and a half. On the flip side, at age 65, you're not required to take any money from your IRA if you don't need it or don't want it. But once you reach 73, that's no longer the case. At that time, the required minimum distributions must begin and you'll have to take money out of your IRA and pay taxes on it, even if you don't want it or need it. So the RMD rules that require you to withdraw a specific amount each year. You can take more, but you can never take less. If you do, you'll be hit with a penalty on the amount that you didn't take. So let's talk a little bit about how to take advantage of Peak 65. If you are at or near Peak 65, taking advantage of it, now might be the time 
to take penalty-free with distributions from your IRA if you need the money. You no longer have to worry about that early distribution penalty. You might also consider doing distribution planning now to reduce taxes in the future. With tax reform, tax rates are at historic lows. It makes sense to take IRA distributions now to take advantage of the low rates because no one knows when the future rates will be when the RMDs are required. As a point of interest, 24 and 25 for the last two years that the Trump tax cuts are in, in play, Depending on control of the White House and Congress, we expect to see rates change in 26. They could be substantially higher. So scheduling some of this withdrawals early on may be, may be something to think about. When you're in your 60s, you can take money out of your IRA on your schedule and not the government. So you have, <clears throat> you have that opportunity now to take money basically out on your schedule, something we can have simply sit down and take a look at. So during your 60s is also a great time to consider a Roth conversion. You can convert your IRA at today's low rates and eliminate any future worries about RMDs. That's because you're not required to take RMDs from a Roth IRA during your lifetime. You would not need to be concerned about the yearly hassle of making sure your RMD was taken and what the tax consequences are going to be. With a Roth IRA conversion, there is a tax hit, but you need to be aware of the stealth taxes like the IRMA tax, but... Conversion is a one-time event. The trade-off is tax-free earnings that you and your beneficiaries. So basically, you need to learn how to take advantage of being peak 65 to do strategic planning with your IRA. The best bet is consult with a knowledgeable tax or financial advisor. Everyone's situation is different, but don't let this opportunity go to waste. So one of the services we offer, and we have quite a few people coming to us and doing it, is that we have a program that we are able to scan your tax return in and we can sit here and do what ifs. So we can take a uh, take a look at what your income was for last year, say twenty three, and go out there and say, okay, fine. If we convert twenty thousand dollars to a Roth IRA, what's the impact and the taxes going to be? If we convert a hundred thousand dollars to a Roth IRA, what's the impact going to be? And of course, Irma, as I mentioned, which is the income related to uh, uh, the the, t- the increase that you could see in your Medicare pre- uh, premiums. Irma also comes into play. Uh, but that's two years later. But we can sit there and help calculate those type of things and uh, sit down and play some games with it, They'll run some numbers for you, and love doing it. Kind of Actually, I kind of enjoy those kind of things. Well, there are also two new rules, Roth rules and one delay, which could be shaping your retirement this year. When the ball dropped in Times Square earlier this year, we had a bunch of new provisions for the Secure 2.0 legislation kicked in. So I'm going to focus on the Roth-related changes that became effective this year. And one of those is the fact that you now can take 529 plan, which is college savings plans, and do a Roth IRA rollover or conversion. Under the tax rules, if funds in a Section 529 college plan are not used for education, the earnings are taxable, they're subject to a 10% penalty. This has scared many people away from funding 529 plans. As a way of relieving these fears, Congress included a provision in Secure 2.0 that allows the rollovers of unused 529 funds for Roth IRAs. And while this is a worthy idea, beware of important restrictions on this new rollover rule. The maximum amount that can be rolled over from a 529 account is $35,000, and there is no currently no indexing of this $35,000 to inflation. But the 35000 is a lifetime maximum. It appears to apply per beneficiary. The Ross IRA must, have been a five name, must be in the name of that 529 beneficiary, not the 529's owner. So typically when we set up a 529 plan, we'll have a parent or a grandparent who technically is the owner for the benefit of a child or grandchild. So it has to be done in the name of that child or grandchild. The plan must have been open for more than 15 years. The IRS still hasn't said whether a new 15-year waiting period is required if the 529 plan is transferred to a new beneficiary. And that's one of the key things to keep in mind here. And I'm not 100% convinced yet that the 529 
conversion to a Roth is necessarily um, the right thing to do because of the fact that you can go out there and change the beneficiaries. So if you've got one beneficiary that you've used to put money in the, in the 529 plan, they completed their college and education and, and uh, tech schools or whatever education they're going to do, there's still money there. You can change beneficiaries. That continues to have that tax deferral take place. Also, rollover amounts cannot include any 529 contributions and earnings on those contributions made in the preceding five-year period of time, which basically eliminates uh, being able to roll over any money that's been put in in the last five years. Also, it's subject to an annual Roth contribution limit. So, for example, if you have $7,000 and want to roll it over from 529 to a Roth this year, the effect of this rule is it's going to take several years to do the full 35000 because you're going to be limited to the amount that you can annually put into an IRA, or to, yeah, to the IRA. And then any 529 Roth rollover could, would count towards IRA contribution limit, so you can't put in money both into an IRA and also do the um, contribution. But one of the other things to keep in mind, there are no MDs or Roth 401k funds, before 2024, one bit advantage of Roth IRAs and Roth funds in the 401k. Other company plans of the Roth owners never had to take RMDs. That's changed. I'm going to run out of time here, so we're going to go ahead and bug out of here. Uh, we also saw the mandatory for Roth 401k catch-ups were delayed. Those are the things we can talk about if you got questions about it. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here in KGMI. Don't forget our show tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, and we want to thank you for being with us. Have a good week. Have a good week. Take care out there. Watch out for that snow. on the show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision.